Well, I'm just coming back from Florida last weekend. This past weekend, I was preaching there. And uh, in the spirit of trendsetting, which I know I've been accused of, I was going to, uh, I was going to show up in flip-flops and shorts, but I figured you wouldn't like that, so I decided not to. You know, I was also going to teach you a few things I learned down there, but I didn't know if you'd like those either. They kind of compete with interests around here culturally, but it was a good trip. I was uh, privileged to be able to preach for a brother down there, and, and that's the same location that was devastated by the hurricane not long ago. And so just to see them back in their own building, uh, fellowshipping together around the Word of God on that island that was, that was uh, had so much destruction there was just, it was a joy to be with them and talk about missions there with them. Uh, I'm going to ask you to turn with me this morning in your Bibles there to Jude, if you haven't done that. Was that me? I don't think that was me. I didn't do anything weird, so I don't know how I could have done that. Uh, but turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jude, their uh, book just before Revelation, uh, page 1027 in those red Bibles there, the seatback Bibles. And I want to read these verses together with you, Jude uh, verses 20 to 25. So let's read these together. These are really precious verses for us to contemplate this morning. Jude 20 to 25 says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Father, I pray today that you will equip us in mind and in heart to commit together to treasure deeply your protective love for us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of protective keeping care. When you think about protective love, uh, I think, as I contemplated that idea this week, I think about our daily early morning shortwave radio and airplane network in the Amazon basin. Let me explain that for you because that may not seem like protective care to you, but I, I remember all the way back to when I was five years old, I, I slept in the upstairs loft in the small jungle house that my dad had built. And each morning, uh, as I was sleeping there on a bed that was homemade and on a thin foam mattress, I would not need an alarm clock ever because inevitably before 6 a.m. I'd hear through those floorboards of the, the hewn cedar uh, uh, logs that we had ourselves cut and made floorboards out of, I'd hear the sound of that shortwave radio start up. And each morning, that crackling static was, in effect, my alarm clock. That was the beginning of a systematic round of calls that a central operator in the small town called Puerto Ayacucho would be making to touch base with all of those multiple stations that were scattered throughout the Amazon basin there. 
each of those 15 to 18 uh, stations would come up and they would be exchanging weather reports and short, brief news items with one another. And all those operators, if you will, in the different locations would be listening intently as that central operator collected that kind of information. And as they would work their way around the call signs, each one of us had a call sign. I remember as a small kid, that call sign that we had, that was it. So I would be listening there, and I would hear them call, that's what they said. And my dad would respond. He would give an update just like everyone else. And once those updates were all completed, then the radios would go silent until the next morning. And I tell you, we depended on that connective, protective network for all of our needs because we were a long way from civilization. We were 250 miles from that location where those calls were being issued. All of our lives moved through that network. So our food supplies came there, our physical mail, care packages that we would receive, medical supplies, visitors if they were brave enough to get on the airplane and come in, right? Um, rides to and from boarding school, consultancy visits for those who would come and talk with us about church planning, our own trips in and out of the community to go to town occasionally, our trips back to the U.S., everything moved through that protective care network. And especially if we had a medical emergency, the operator there would mobilize that small Cessna six-seater airplane that had a tailwheel, tripod gear, and would mobilize that plane to make a five or six-hour flight out to us to care for us in light of an emergency. There were many of those kinds of cases, whether it was when my friend was bitten by a bushmaster, a poisonous snake, uh, when my aunt was critically ill with falciparum malaria, when my sister was stung by a really large scorpion, um, and frankly, when my mom died. In all of those situations, we had this network that would protect us. You know, I, I've been a little bitter about the whole situation because I never got any frequent flyer miles. Never got them. Thousands of miles logged. Maybe I should write a letter to someone and complain. Uh, they, may, they may help me out there. But that was our radio and airplane care network, this, these care guardians, if you will, as we lived and flew uh, over what was really a deceptively peaceful green canopy below just thousands and thousands of square miles of jungle. It was a life world, really, that when you're in it, it could kill you. And yet we were protected because we had a network in a hostile environment for us. And I just use that as an illustration this morning to remind you of what Nick taught us last week, that we are living in a spiritually and morally hostile environment, one that would spurn God's authority, one that would scoff at Christ's deity, one that would try to spoil and splinter Christian unity, and one that would try to tarnish our purity as Christians. And so, friends, you just look around you and you realize that there is evidence everywhere of that kind of hostility to the gospel and to, to the purity of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the desire of Christ to make his church pure. And so the question I'm asking you this morning then is how is it that God wants us to live together in such a way that we protect our faith and our hope and our love as a congregation in this environment, in this 
network, if you will, that you guys feel it as much as I do, that when we go out from here, we're like outpost stations in the community. We're, we're like those who've been sent out, but yet God wants us to be networked together in life in such a way that we represent his church rightly, well. And so here at the end of this short book, Jude is challenging us in very active terms to together commit our lives to the protective love of God. He's challenging us to join together under the protection of God's love in order to take up a fight together through what he will give us as three preventative and proactive ways of living. And that's going to be the way we approach our text this morning. So let me state that for you more succinctly, clearly. Three ways that we commit our lives to the protective love of God. Three ways we commit our lives to the protective love of God. The first of those we will see in verses 20 and 21. That would be by keeping ourselves in God's love. By keeping ourselves in God's love. The second we'll see in verses 22 and 23 by mercifully rescuing those at risk. By mercifully rescuing those at risk. And then finally in verses 24 and 25 by exalting the God who keeps us all. Now that's a lot to write down. So I'm going to read it one more time for you. Okay. Three ways we commit our lives to the protective love of God, by keeping ourselves in God's love, by mercifully rescuing those at risk, and by exalting the God who keeps us all. And I will say those again as we move forward, if you didn't get them all. But let's begin our time then in verses 20 and 21. That will be the first of those commitments that we're making as we keep ourselves in God's love. Let's read those verses again together. Verses 20 and 21. They say this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now we see those transition words the same as in verse 3 above, where Jude turns again to address the beloved. So he has a message that he is saying in contrast, but you, beloved, in contrast to the false teaching that was previously presented, he's speaking an urgent exhortation to the whole congregation, one who is speaking as a pastor, who loves those that he's speaking to and desperately wants them to be protected, to be kept safe. And so in these verses, Jude is, pro is proposing a community project. One that's going to require intentional cooperation from the whole network of faith in the church, in the congregation. He's urging a group of believers like ours that they must covenant together to proactively protect one another in the love of God. He's challenging them to depend on the resources that God's given them, the resource of God's steadfast love, so that they can keep one another from rebellion and from blasphemy from disunity, from sinful impurity. And so God's self-sacrificing love, Jude says, is the only means by which Christians can keep themselves and one another safe from destruction. And so when he says, keep yourselves in God's love, he's exhorting a congregation like ours to act together 
to prove out the commitment that they are making, that they have to the protective love of God. He's asking us not to live as if love is an abstract concept, just some idea that floats around in the ether, but rather a love that acts, that protects, that keeps, that guards, that hopes, that helps one another stay in a safe place. Now, in order to make his argument, and here's where grammarians like me get ourselves in trouble, but in order to make an argument, Jude is going to use three ing words to describe how to keep ourselves in God's love. You can see them there in your Bibles. In English, we call those participles. So you just thought I spoke Spanish, but that's actually English. Those are called participles, ing words. So look, at, look with me there at those three participles that will serve as subpoints for us. How do we keep ourselves secure in the love of God? That's our first main point. And Jude describes three ways to do that. He says, by building, that's an ing there, you see that? By building yourselves up in your most holy faith, that's a first. By praying in the Holy Spirit, that's a second. And by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Jude says, keep yourself secure in God's love by building, by praying, and by waiting. Now, before we look at those subpoints, I do feel like I should ask you a couple of important questions. Because in order to make this message relevant to everyone in the room, we have to realize Jude is speaking to the beloved. He's speaking to those whom he says in verse 1, you remember, are called to salvation, are kept by the Lord Jesus Christ, are beloved by God. Now, what that means is that Jude is speaking to those who are Christians. And so I want you to understand that first, because if you don't understand that, those of you who are not Christians, who are not called, beloved, and kept, will not be able to apply this message adequately. And so I would need to ask you up front, are you one who, as you consider your life carefully this morning, are you actually in the fellowship of the faithful? Are you one who've understood yourself as a helpless sinner who's needing to hear the call of God, to be one who is rescued by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say with confidence that you are kept because you have turned from your sin to trust in Christ as your Savior? In other words, do you believe that Christ made the sufficient payment for your sin? That you therefore have been preserved from judgment that Jude talks about up in verses 5 to 7, that eternal gloom in the fires of hell, that you've been saved from that judgment because you have placed your trust in Christ. You've repented from your sin and done that, and therefore God has placed you within his eternal protective love. Now, I want to say that up front because if I don't, then you're going to hear this message and you're, it's going to miss you. And so I want you to think about that. If you're in a place where you don't know for sure that that's the case, then I, I really do encourage you to ask someone here how to be sure of that. If you don't make that decision, you can't be a part of the fellowship that we're describing this morning, and so I want to make that clear. And then for my Christian friends, let me ask you a question or two. Now, by the way, I'm going to ask a lot of questions today. In fact, it may start to drive you crazy a little bit. I mean, you know, I'm a guy who asks a lot of questions. But the reason I do that, frankly, is because I find that in my own heart, I need to be one who's meditating on the scriptures. And one of the ways that I'm really helped by med to meditate is to ask questions to myself about the text. So 
I'm going to do that with you this morning. I'm going to use questions as a way that we can meditate, that we can diagnose, that we can be thoughtful about what we're hearing. And so, first of all, I ask you, Christian, are you ready to go to battle for one another? Are you ready to face up to the world as a together war that we're engaging in? Because because you believe that God has given you a steadfast, protective love that gives you a tender affection for him. And so, therefore, because you know he is tenderly and steadfastly caring for you, then you can turn and protect with tender affection those around you. That you can apply that kind of fervency and frequency to acts of love to others because you are sure that God has safeguarded you. Now I ask you again, another question, is that love, is it visible? Is it, is it fresh? Is God renewing it in your heart? Is, is it visible within this network of faith in our church? Does your faith work itself out in tender affection for others? That's a hard question for us to ask. Am, am I growing in tenderness of affection for those in my network of faith? Am I modeling God's keeping love? If I really believe that God's keeping me in love, am I modeling that kind of keeping love for people around me? There are lots and lots of passages like Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 that talks about our responsibility to do that for Christian brothers and sisters. Do we see evidence then that that tender affection that we have for others is actually growing stronger? That we are increasing in trusting in God's unfailing love and therefore we're loving others around us better. Now that set of questions, which I know you didn't have time to write all of them down, but it's just a, it's a way for you to be standing back from this text and this situation and thinking toward the application of the word to your life today. And so I want to get those out in front because I want us to be not just sitting in our pews with our, and even seats, in fact. They could be pews, they could be seats, but sitting there, um, not thinking deeply about the text. So back to the text here, okay? Back to the text. We're talking about these three ways that we commit our lives to the protective love of God. And we're talking about the first of those ways, which is keeping ourselves in God's love. And I mentioned there are three subpoints that we're, we're, we'll see here, building, praying, and waiting. Now, here's the next question. How do we see these three subpoints adding warmth, fervency, currency, urgency to our hearts, our lives, our personal and collective love for God and for each other? Well, we see that first subpoint there. If you look at your Bibles, you'll see that first subpoint in, in verse 20. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, I don't think that what Jude is saying there is actually complicated. So I'm going to go straight to some questions, okay? I'm going to ask you some of those questions again. Are we consciously and consistently building upon the foundation of our faith as we're living in outpost stations of life that are scattered about the jungle, if you will, of our environment? Are we building on the foundation of our faith? In other words, do you build faith by learning and applying more of the truth because you love God, because you know that God loves you, that you take up that challenge, that I take up that challenge as a precious and serious undertaking for the good of the whole community of faith. Now, I'm just telling you, these are the kinds of challenges that go straight to my heart 
and make me really think, is that the way I'm functioning? Am I functioning in a, in a way that's not just my personal application of my relationship with God, but rather in light of the way that God wants to protect us all in his love, in light of the way he wants to build us together in his love? Is it an audible and visible sense that we have of corporate responsibility so that others in the network of faith do hear and affirm our faith and love and hope, and they grow in holiness as a result? Now, that means we have to know how we do that. So I'd ask you, like, what habits of grace are evident in your life? How practically are you maintaining that process, because the scriptures tell us things like we build faith upon faith, we build strength upon strength, we build confidence upon confidence, truth upon truth, love upon love, hope upon hope, and we do that because God loves us so much that he wants us to share that protective network with those who are around us. He wants us to contribute to the building up of others, and so I ask myself and you, can my Christian brothers and sisters trust me to show up, to pull weight, to be counted in faith? Is my call sign, if you will, as a Christian clear in the network of faith? Do you carefully and do I carefully monitor how I live in order to contribute to how others are built up in holy faith? There are so many supportive passages to this idea in the scriptures, Colossians chapter 2 Verses 6 and 7 is one that says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. Or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be holy, a holy priesthood. So that idea, friends, of being built up in what Jude says is holy faith. It's a, it's a frame of reference that has to do with a way of life for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And there, it's just moving forward in verse 20, we also find that second sub-point for how we keep ourselves in God's love, namely praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, I find this super challenging personally too, because the way that ideas framed has to do with the way in which we use prayer or think of prayer as a means to support, to strengthen the network of care that we have for each other. Prayer, Jude would say, and, and Paul would say in Romans 8, prayer keeps us in God's love. And the, the question I like to ask myself is why, right? Because it sounds good, but I'd like to know why. Because when we pray, if we go to Paul in Romans 8, he tells us that the Holy Spirit actually uses our prayers to align our thoughts with God's thoughts. He uses our prayers to align our words with God's words. He uses them to align our affections with God's affections, to, to, to set our acts in line with God's acts. So the Holy Spirit really then is serving as the translator, the activator of our exchanges with God in the prayer network. He translates our weak and feeble hearts and words into God's protective hearts and words for us all. And I'll just tell you, friends, that's a miracle. It's a miracle of the activity of God. That he is one who tells us in Romans 8 that we actually need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to bear witness to our hearts 
that we are indeed beloved children of God. And so in the process of praying, the Holy Spirit is communicating and interceding for us in that way. That all happens while we pray. Did you know that? Doesn't that sort of strengthen your perspective of prayer? Do I feel and do you feel that conviction that as we strive in prayer, that's Romans 15, or labor in prayer, that's Colossians 4, that we're asking God to produce fruitful confirmation of his love for us. And not only for us, for everyone around us. Ephesians chapter 6, 18 says that we should pray at all times in the Spirit with all perseverance for all the saints. Well, that's a big ask. But what that means is that we are so convinced of the responsibility of staying steadfast in prayer that we are committed to seeing God use that in the way that he himself describes. God's protective love for us, we're kept in that as we pray in the Holy Spirit, as we let allow our words to be used by that one God who can turn lifeless, earthbound uh, requests into living, airborne petitions. Only God can do that. He turns lifeless, earthbound requests into living, airborne petitions. We are believing then that the Holy Spirit is that operator. He's the one who connects all of our hearts back to God as he divinely operates, as he divinely moves. And again, friends, I, I find that to be very challenging because I, I, I reflect into my own life, and you can do this too, and ask myself, am I praying in the Holy Spirit? In other words, is God cultivating in me a real desire to fervently pursue him in prayer on, on behalf of others for the sake of the fellowship of faith? So that's the second subpoint there, praying in the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, the last one is in verse 21, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, why does that matter? Because in order to keep ourselves in the love of God, we've got to know where we're going, right? We want to know where God's taken us. Because if, if you think about the way that Jude, Jude is communicating in the letter, he's saying that you look around you in the world and we see rebellion and blasphemy and hostility and disunity and division and impurity, right? So you see all that around you and you say, wait, where am I going here and who's taking me there again? So this is the hopeful posture of the Christian. It's this waiting posture, this hope that we express, this regularly needed to be refreshed kind of a posture of life. And I'm asking you again, I'm asking myself, are we doing that? Am I refreshing the hope of the waiting gospel in my heart, in my daily and weekly routine of life? Am I doing that because I'm looking outside of myself toward the network to which I'm responsible? Is that what I prioritize? If someone does an audit of my week, is that prioritization clear? Remember, we first trusted in God's protective mercy for us in Christ when he saved us in the gospel. We first trusted it there. And we will trust in and toward that final protective and eternal mercy when Christ swoops in on eagle's wings and snatches us out of this sin-filled jungle. Okay, that's what we're looking for. And so I'm asking you, are you longing, are you praying, are you working 
toward that day? Does your prayer, does my prayer serve as a canopy of protection for the saints around us? I, I think of verses like 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5 could serve as a compass for us. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. As we scan, and I think oftentimes we would, you know, in the, in the jungle, the, the, we, we would hear the radio, we would interact with the radio when the airplane was going to come in, and then everybody would get out on the airstrip and they would just listen, because there's no, there's no road noise out there, and you would just listen, and you could hear in the distance as you listened the this, this slight hum of that airplane. You could just start to hear it, and you'd, you'd ask one another, wait, is that the plane, or is that just a, a bumblebee, you know? And you'd hear it, and you'd hear it, and you could hear that noise getting louder until finally you were confirmed. You could see the airplane coming over the tree line, and you knew that that protective help was right around the corner. And that's where we are as we scan the tree line, in effect, for the blessed hope of the appearing of Christ, that trumpet sound, if you will, the hastening of the day of his appearing for us. That's a commitment that we're making to the protection of God's love. And so Jude says, how do we keep ourselves in God's love? That's my first main point. By building, praying, and waiting as we wait, build, and pray within the fellowship of the faithful. And then secondly there in verses 22 and 23, secondly, we commit our lives to the protective love of God as we mercifully rescue those at risk as we mercifully rescue those at risk. That's a proactive decision, and you know, as I say that, how that can build up faith, hope, and love too. Look back there at verses 22 and 23. It says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So what Jude is saying here is that as we eagerly wait for Christ's mercy. He's connecting the word mercy from the previous verses down into mercy here. As we eager, eagerly wait for Christ's mercy and returning to retrieve us, we extend mercy to those within our reach, within our grasp, within our responsibility set, those who are brothers and sisters in the fellowship of faith who are at risk. And what you would indicate here is that, frankly, when others around us are at risk, they put all of us at risk. So we see the risk as corporate. We therefore are going to love them by pursuing them to confirm and establish their faith in the love of God, their security in God's love. I think of the illustration again of those small airplanes. You remember that, that radio and airplane network that we had? Well, when we would fly over the jungle, oftentimes we're flying for multiple hours. So we're flying, and I can just tell you from the experience of it, you're flying over just an endless sea of green. It's just green. And what the operators would do there is that each 15 minutes, they would check coordinates with the pilot. So oftentimes I would fly, you know, if we were flying, I was the oldest son, I would often fly in the passenger seat up front with the pilot. I would put on a headset alongside the pilot, and he would, he would hear his call sign over the radio that, the operator in Puerto Ayacucho would say, seis dos papá, six two pp, painted on the back, right? Seis dos papá, aquí la veinte cuatro cuarenta. And he would give, in each 15-minute increment, his coordinates. 
because on the number of occasions, and there were plenty of occasions when airplanes would crash, go down, um, there would need to be a way to triangulate those coordinates because when, I'll just tell you again, when an airplane goes down in the jungle, it disappears. It's in effect swallowed up in the canopy of green. And so if there were no clear coordinates to triangulate, then there was no way to know where that airplane was. And your uh, 20,000 miles of square, square miles of jungle was the Yanomami environment. And that's it, quite a large search grid to try to, to work out. And I remember um, several occasions when uh, airplanes crashed and my dad and others were involved, we ourselves were involved in trying to help find those planes. It was as if all hands were on deck to try to both pray for and locate those who may have survived. And yeah, you can imagine in the jungle there were lots of times when survival didn't occur. And I, two in particular, where my dad went in and they were retrieving bodies. They weren't retrieving people who were alive. But my point is that Jude is speaking soberly in these verses about potential wreckage of faith. He's speaking about these earnest and serious categories in verses 22 and 23. And we need to realize that Jude is not talking primarily to pastors of the church. They're included. They're part of the congregation. But that's not his primary address. His primary address is the beloved. Our corporate responsibility together. Our outpost stations, if you will, on the alert as we monitor the airplane traffic, if you will, the lives of our brothers and sisters around us. And I'm asking you, do you understand your role this way as an active part of that faith network? One who is tracking, who is proactively engaging, who is part of a merciful rescue process. Jude's three categories here, I'll just mention them briefly because they're important. He, they begin there in verse 22 where he first speaks of those who are wavering in doubt. Those who are wavering in doubt. You see that there? The first of those wavering in doubt. I have mercy on those who doubt, he says. Now, I would assume that what he means here, these are progressive degrees of severity, the three levels here. I would assume what Jude means here is those who are weak or naive, who are ignorant in faith, who haven't maybe had a lot of instruction in the gospel. So who needs strengthening through our love and grace to them, who likely need gentle but firm reminders of the gospel that they've heard from the church and so that they can grow in faith. So that first category of those who are wavering in faith or weak in faith, who need that mercy applied to them. But secondly, Jude, you see it there in verse 23, that he mentions those who must be snatched out of the fire. These are those who hear the gospel but wander close to destruction on a careless path. Friends, you know times in your life you've been in this situation. I know times in my life I've been in that situation. I, I would wonder, I'd be able to ask you, do you know anyone around you who's in that situation? Because Jude goes on to describe in verse 23 a third category, even more tragic and dangerous. Those who are callous or indifferent, who perhaps profess faith, who, let's just say, they voice a call sign in the Christian family, but they careen into faithlessness. They are those that Jude describes there as those who we need to approach carefully, who we need to approach with judgment, astute judgment, with sober assessment of the danger, not only that they're in, but that we could be in. And when he uses that language of soiled 
the soiling language there, I think he's talking about that, uh, the, the corrupting effect of persistent sin in the life of a person. The corrupting effect of persistent sin in the life of a person. In other words, in heart and soul and mind, we're corrupted by sin when we stay engaged with it. And Jude is saying, beware lest you get pulled into that kind of sin. And so we don't want to be people then who affirm a false profession of faith, Jude is saying, who provide assurance of God's protective love to a person who doesn't demonstrate that they're actually understanding the requirements of living in that protective love. And so Jude gives us those three categories, and good for us to think about. The, the ones that require gentle instruction, the ones that require uh, urgent rebuke, perhaps, or urgent exhortation, and then those that re- are a fearful warning to us to take heed in our lives, to be discerning and careful. And so I'm asking you again today, where are you? Like, first of all, are you in danger? Are you one of the people in the group here who's finding yourself in one of these categories? Now, one of the challenges of that is that it's hard to see blindness when you're blind. So I'm going to challenge you, urge you to reach out to Christians around you, those you think who really could give sight lines into your life. And ask them to diagnose, to assess your life. See where you are. Find out where you are. Ask in sincerity and humility if you could get input into your life. Because if you are not on a good spiritual course, you need to know it. Because you could be in danger. And people around you could be in danger. And then if you think you are on a good spiritual course as a Christian... Are you showing that commitment outwardly? Are you alert, in fact? Now, here's a challenge for you. Are you alert to the spiritual condition of people around you? Do you know anyone who is spiritually vulnerable? If you don't, you may not know the people around you well enough. Because I can assure you there are people around you who are spiritually vulnerable. There are brothers and sisters who you need to and I need to have deep enough relationships with that we understand the reality and the urgency and the severity of their predicaments of life. And so I I encourage you to be one who, when the church reconnaissance team takes flight in a life, that you are one who's vigilant, who's on the alert, who's listening well, who's praying, who's joining in, who's appropriately contributing to merciful rescue. Now we could discuss... a long list of applications in this, and we won't take the time for that, but I I just challenge you, in order to be discerning of lives around you, you have to be deep in the Word of God. You know that? You have to be able, discernment only comes through a deep understanding of the Word of God and an ability to carefully apply that understanding to lives around you, and so I'm just challenging you again, are we discerningly applying the Word of God because we know how to apply his word with grace and wisdom for others. Is that how you understand your role in the network of faith, that we're mercifully rescuing those who are at risk? Now, (laughs) I I can tell you, like that feels heavy to me, right? I thought this was supposed to be the encouraging week. What happened? That feels heavy, but Jude doesn't leave us there. He doesn't leave us there. So he says, thirdly, we keep ourselves in God's protective love by exalting the God who keeps us all. That's his third point there in verses 24 and 25. If we commit to the protective love of God, 
by first keeping ourselves in God's love, and secondly, mercifully rescuing those who are at risk, then thirdly and finally, we commit to the protective love of God by exalting the God who keeps us all. Those are wonderful verses, aren't they, in verses 24 and 25? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now, you know the riches of that doxology are so inexhaustible that we could be here the rest of today and forever forward thinking through them, and we won't do that, just so you know, I'll, I'll, I won't do that to you today. He's, Jude strings so many declarations together that are exalting the infinite triune God, we just can't unpack them all. But I'll make a few comments, okay? And, and I want to make these comments just as a way for us together to be thinking up toward the exaltation of God, because that's what Jude is challenging us to do. If we want to stay kept in the protective love of God, we need to exalt the one who keeps us all. It's God who is the only one, Jude says, who's able to keep us. We're depending on him to protect us, to watch over us, to, to maintain our faith, to, to, to maintain our righteous standing in the Lord Jesus Christ, our blamelessness for the last day. We know we're not capable of that. I hope you know that. I appreciate a comment made by Thomas Manton. He's a, a Puritan writer. He said it this way. He said, we fall not because God does not let go his hold. Our necessities and difficulties are so great that nothing less than a divine power can support us. Isn't that great? To see yourself as so weak and so frail that the only saving grace for you is a divine omnipotent being. And so we won't be consumed on the last day when we stand in the presence of God because the righteousness of Christ will have perfected us completely. We'll stand fully exposed to the light of God's glorious person, presence, his purposes, and we'll stand with joy because in that moment, every stain and hint and shadow, every vestige of impurity, every dark corner, every, every hidden um, and blind sinfulness in our lives will be removed. Be because through our God, our only God, he will preserve us. And through our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, we will have salvation. And so we'll stand and exalt him. We'll ascribe to him infinite worth, kingly majesty. We'll recognize his rule perfectly. We'll acknowledge his authority over all, for all time, to past and present and to come, that we will exalt him that way. And just think with me, if we spend time daily exalting that God in that kind of way, you can understand how our hearts would be knit to him in love. Because you can't look at the one who's the savior of the most significant issues of your life and not exalt him, right? You can't look at him and not praise him for that. And what the benefit is Jude's describing, that we then have the privilege in that kind of posture of exaltation to turn and bless those around us, that we can be those who sincerely exalt him, who's infinitely great, so that our affection, our love for him grows, and then we can protect others around us. Our hearts are knit together in the unified love of God because we see him as he is, and he unifies us 
in that love. And so that's why I think we can understand why for Jude, a common understanding of the faith, the gospel really does matter. Because he's challenging us to understand that we can only stand in exaltation of the God we commonly share, the gospel we commonly share, the rescue we commonly share. That's why that means so much. That's why unity is about right doctrine. It's about right belief for Jude. I remember very clearly the day, friends, when the sober word spread through that radio and airplane network in the jungle that my mom had died suddenly and unexpectedly of a heart failure in our outpost station. I was 11 at the time, my mom was 33. And I remember as that word is passed, radio to radio, if you will, that all those Christian brothers and sisters were joining in, mourning and praying and supporting far and wide in the fellowship network there, that news shared and collectively carried as a burden. Two small Cessna 185 airplanes came into our location, landed on our grass airstrip. Our family of five, four kids and my dad got into one of those airplanes and my mom's body in a sheet was put in the other. And we flew out from there to Puerto Ayacucho, to that interior town, and because of the laws in the country, we, we buried my mom in the same 24-hour period there. And you know, I look back on that time and think about standing in the rain with a backhoe in front of her grave, um, in, the, in just the absolute drenching rain of the Amazon basin, and realizing, you know, my mom had already gone. She wasn't there. She was already standing, blameless before the presence of God, in glory, with great joy. And that's the point. That's the point. We're trying to get there, friends. We're those who can say with peace before the Lord, honesty and peace, and I can say this too, that even though that call sign that I remember so fondly as a kid, I haven't heard that since I was very young. And yet, the call sign of God's protective love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ never is extinguished. That God is one who is constantly calling out, protecting his children in his love. He wants to keep us safe there. And that's our wonderful privilege, friends, and we need it. We need it. I'm just telling you, this is a super convicting and challenging way for me to be thinking because I tend to be a person who feels like I can do a lot on my own. And yet God is telling us that we have to protect ourselves and one another against apostasy, against those who would want to, and the world tries to do this. The world tries to build cynical, selfish, satanic skepticism in you. That's what the world wants. And yet God is telling us that if we want to be those who are who are safeguarded under his care, then we have to reject those who rebel against authority and who scoff at Christ's deity and who would splinter our unity as a church and who would spoil our purity as those who claim a holy faith. And so just challenge you this morning as we close, commit your life to the protective love of God. Do that with me. That which is our glorious privilege, 
that which serves us well in each of our outpost stations of faith and just that closing idea of questions. Are we keeping ourselves in God's love? Are we mercifully rescuing others at risk? And are we together exalting the God who keeps us all? Let's pray together and we'll close.